Today on Frightful Failures on Film, we will be discussing All-American Murder, a movie about an all-American murder. Starring Christopher Walken in a role so fantastic, it will make you want to go look up more Christopher Walken movies. So, put on your clown suit and try to lure me down the storm drain using a paper boat, because it's time for... Frightful Failures! <laughs> very specific uh, reference opener <laughs> so thank you all for coming and, and tuning in hopefully again or if this is the first time you've discovered us thank you for taking a chance 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 and uh i don't know why i just made an abba reference to start this episode i feel like an idiot anyway i am zach romero i'm one half of your hosting uh, team here and i am tm Gagnol. great to talk to you folks Oh, I was hoping you were going to respond with an ABBA reference, too, to try to make it seem normal. Like, if somebody was listening to this for the first time, like, oh, great. Yeah, ABBA. Okay, wonderful. Well, um, we're talking about Mamma Mia today. Instead, yeah, no. I guess say Mamma Mia, this was a great movie. <laughs> that, or that Never uh, has there been more of a forced reference. In <laughs> sorry. I mean, there's, there's more force. You could say, gee, the girl in this movie was a real dancing queen, didn't you think? I mean, that's that's probably more forced, I would say. Anyway, so a couple of things here that we want to discuss on the show before we get into the uh, episode-wide review of All-American Murder from 1992. Yeah, how's your week been, buddy? Um, busy. Very, very busy. Um, I had uh, a couple of reviews that I had to get knocked out, and I hate working under a deadline, and they were about Red Brown, so I was pretty thrilled about that. Mm. So, um, what about you? I, oh, so uh, obviously the, the sort of catalyst of our discussion here, uh, I heard that you got to go see... Uh, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which I will more than likely not be seeing in the theaters because I'm an asshole. Um, <laughs> yes, um, I did indeed see 10 Cloverfield Lane, uh, which I enjoyed. Um, so my spoiler-free review, because this just came out, obviously, so I'm not going to get super-duper uh, in-depth into it, is that I really liked it. Um, it was about what we were expecting in terms of uh, really, really great performances. Everybody held their own of the three you know, main cast members. Uh, loved Mary Elizabeth Winstead. It's usually fantastic. John Goodman, extremely imposing. They built tension very nicely in the movie. And it does have a satisfying payoff, Um you know, I'm not gonna, like I said, I'm not going to spoil anything, but uh, it is interesting how they sort of make you question whether or not it is in the same universe as Cloverfield, and that there definitely is something above the natural realm that happens at the end. Um, but it doesn't really reveal whether it's the same universe as Cloverfield. Like when when Ramona Flowers opens the door at the end, the monster when she just gets sit outside. Out. He's yeah, he's not just like laying there. You know, playing solitaire, waiting for her to get out of the bunker. Um, it is not the same. It's it's not the monster from the first movie. So you know, it makes you wonder. Well, is it the same universe? Because if it is, that sucks. Apparently, you know, they get natural disasters every week in this universe. Um, but yeah, it was. I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, John Goodman was superb. Uh, I actually went and tried to find like interviews with him about the movie because I was that impressed with his performance that I wanted to hear kind of how he designed that character and made you really wonder whether or not he is insane or, you know, whether he 
is justified throughout the movie. So really, really good. Interesting. Interesting. Would you say it's 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 too much of a different movie to really compare it to the first one? It is, and plus, I don't think I've seen the first one after it was in theaters. So, and that was what, like 2008 or something? Yeah, it's been a while. Um, it's been a while. Uh, yeah, and so I haven't seen it in close enough of time. I, I can't even remember T.J. Miller's stupid voice behind the camera to really compare protagonists. Uh, so, but I would say this is probably a better movie just because the first one seems so gimmicky. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh my, it's Blair Witch, kind of. Uh, and it just seems like there's a lot of gimmicks to it and a lot of... Uh, you know, tricks and things up the up JJ's sleeve that he tries to use. And uh Alright, excellent. I really dug it a lot. Excellent. So go see it. But first, see Star Wars. Have you seen Star Wars yet? No, I have not. Okay. And before you ask, no, I haven't seen Deadpool either. Okay. So when are you gonna do that? Um at the rate I'm going, probably mm-hmm. never. But, never. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> which I which I hate that because it's literally just a matter of just being too just being very busy. Like I just don't have time to dedicate. Like while I was watching this week's movie, I was yeah. working on other stuff. Like I was photoshopping DVD covers for people and working on T-shirt designs. Like I have to multitask now when I have to watch a movie for something, be it for this show or for my yeah. reviews or whatever. And they don't let you do that in the theater. Like you can't bring your laptop into Star Wars in the theater or Deadpool and work on stuff. Do they not? They at least not around here. They don't. Oh, so okay. um, that's kind of the problem I'm running into. But I I hate it because it's making me sound like I'm some dick who <laughs> refuses <laughs> to watch me. Like if somebody it does like sound if, very stubborn at this point. Well, not only that though, but like if I was listening to the show for the first time, I'd be like, oh, what a hipster asshole this guy is. If it's got a budget, he's not gonna watch it. Like, no, no, no. I yeah. Really Any it. anyone who may, which is nobody, but anybody who who may actually have heard this at this point will now say, "Wow, this guy has watched four terrible, terrible movies and has not gotten out to see Star Wars: The Force Awakens." Yeah. Um. So yeah, yeah, I understand that perspective. Um. Yeah, well, I would I would check it out. Um, you know, maybe take a, a little bit of time off from photoshopping, you know, penises onto you know a, a DVD cover or whatever it is. Excuse me, it's I photoshop penises into uh, photos of famous actresses. Okay, like I oh. like, in their faces. That's what I do okay? on their face. Okay. Yes, nice. thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> so uh, great. Well, um, oh, by the way, uh, did you see there was an international trailer for? Ghostbusters. Yes, I did. Yes, I did. And I just, on a whim, now this is funny, behind the scenes stuff, everybody, we did not uh-huh. talk about this prior to the episode. No. Like we just, I just, just, we were on the same wavelength and we just happened to both watch the international trailer. Uh, what did you, what did you take away from the new one? Uh, surprisingly, a lot of newer footage. Um, I'm not going to lie, after we just defended the Ghostbusters trailer and the, and the remake for like literally 45 minutes in the last episode, we defended this movie. And it seemed like they listened to our episode, which is obviously not the case. Uh, nobody listened to our episode, but uh, it seemed like whoever made that trailer listened to our episode and then made a new trailer to specifically try and prove us wrong and be like, oh, you think that this isn't going to be a female-centric kind of racist comedy? Well, let's prove you wrong. 
Um, because that was a lot of the points we were saying last week. It's like, hey, guys, you know, this is just the first trailer. You know, there's a very good chance this is not going to be, you know, very female-centric, concentrating on the fact that they are all women humor. You know, the, the, these can be standalone. You know, you don't have to focus. Focus on the fact that these are women. It was kind of my mm-hmm. point, at least, when we were talking about it. Is you know, it doesn't matter that they're women. They can be funny, and they can be, you know, they can play, you know, genius scientists regardless of their gender. And then the new trailer responds by drawing tits on the Ghostbusters logo. Literally, yeah. uh, that would be a, 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 like a joke that you would make about this as well. They got drawing giant tits on the Ghostbusters <laughs> logo, and that's exactly what they did. And then we were defending Patty, going, "Hey, you know, there's a very good chance that she's going to be." Uh, a real strong uh, kind of hero character and that she's not just going to be kind of a loud stereotype that's, you know, concentrating a lot on the race thing. And the new trailer goes, oh, yeah, well, watch this. Has her, you know, try and stage drive into a crowd, land on the ground, a la yeah. School of Rock. Yeah, and, and then her first phrase is, I don't know if it's a woman thing or a black thing, but I'm, but I'm mad as yeah. hell. yeah. Which is really just putting both nails in the coffin, <laughs> just saying, "Hey, we, you know, we said this is not going to be a woman thing, and this is not going to be a race thing." And they they chose to directly say, "Actually, yes, it is going to be both of those things." So, uh, what did you think about <laughs> the change in the beginning that they said four uh, four friends saved New York? <laughs> I think they did listen to this episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I I, I like that a lot. Um, it seems. A little less impactful, kind of, uh, but hey, at least that one guy on YouTube isn't going to be able to complain about that anymore. Right, that's really what they're meaning. Although I'm was. sure he's still mad that they didn't say 32 years, they only said that. Yeah. Now, what did you think about uh, the indi- now again, before we completely condemn this thing, it is still just a trailer. It is just and, a- and even, I just read an article where Kevin Smith went, you know, hey, I'm still very excited about this movie, I think there's a lot of promise, but whoever cut that first trailer needs a, a, a serious scolding, because that looked like garbage. Um, I, I mean, I, I'm on the opposite end of things. I mean, some people have said the international trailer is much better, and I, I didn't agree with that, really. I, well, my question know, to you I'm, is going to be, what do you think about how Chris Hemsworth's character at least comes across in the international trailer? Because in the first one, we didn't really get to see much of him at all. It was just sort of yes, automatically. Like, and, and I briefly discussed this with a friend of mine, and, you know, and he had kind of said that he really likes the way that Chris Hemsworth is being portrayed as just kind of a doofus, it seems. Uh, because, once again, it sort of reiterates the, well, in the first movies, you know, the, the couple roles for women, not that they were doofuses, but they were very much underplayed. Um, and so this is kind of on the opposite spectrum of things, like, well, if we're going to have one male main character, let's just completely underplay him, have him be really no help to the team whatsoever, um, and just kind of be a complete dingus who's designing, you know, tits on... Is that what you're doing, by the way, in, in, when you say Photoshop and, like, I'm working on Photoshop products? Are you making, like, a ghost with tits to show to your team, or...? No, not a ghost with tits, but I'm taking other famous mascots and putting tits on them. Like, it's like Ronald McDonald with tits... The Burger oh. King with tits. Like, it's a very, very serious uh, project that I'm working on. But I agree. I definitely agree with that philosophy. If that's what they're going for, I do find that interesting. Mm-hmm. That they're like, well, you had Sigourney Weaver, who was just basically this, like, damsel in distress. And then you had Janine, who was just kind of mm-hmm. shit on by Bill Murray. And that's it. So we're going to do the same thing. Like, I like that weird petty revenge. But I will totally, I'll be completely honest. I was a little disappointed 
that, you know, the first thing we get to see with Chris Hemsworth is he just walks in and Christian Wiggs like, oh, you're hired because you're hot. And then, then yeah, he's like, oh, I, I went ahead and made this new logo. And it's like, oh, my God, he's, a, he's an idiot. Not necessarily because I want Chris Hemsworth to be, like, the smartest guy in the room. I just really like the Janine character. Like, I thought she was totally fantastic in the yeah. movies and in the cartoon. So I just wanted that represented. Like, I wanted, to, like, that legacy upheld. And now I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. it's just a dummy. So... I don't know. I'll get over it. It's just one of those things where, like, I was comfortable with them bringing new ideas to the main four. Like, oh, they aren't mm-hmm. going to be portraying Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd and Harold Ramis and Ernie Hudson. They're going to do their own thing. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can't be living in the past. But, like, deep down inside, I was like, I hope they're living in the past about Janine, though. Like, I hope that's That's the, the one character and you then, want them upheld. I mean, not like, you know, not like a Rick Moranis character or not like any of the scientists. It's the I hope they just, everybody the gives him the finger and I hope Rick Moranis just plays Rick Moranis again because a, <laughs> they were claiming like, Oh, we're not going to take anybody from the first one. There's no like, you know, we're not going to do that. And B, he just like retired from acting uh, to help his kids. Like he retired in like the, early, like the late nineties, early two thousands. I was just like, I'm done. So I think it would be a double middle finger to just be like, Oh, and by the way, we have Rick Moranis. Like he came out of retirement to me in this movie and we didn't ask anybody else so fuck off like I think that would be entertaining on its own but but nevertheless yeah I, I have a special place in my heart for Janine and uh, so I don't know I'm still gonna probably never see it because I don't see things in theaters um, yeah but uh, fuck theaters really basically that's what I'm trying to say um, <laughs> um, no I mean uh, I, I guess I, I can't imagine necessarily how they would have translated it because I feel like Janine works because she's a woman kind of trash talking these four dudes and she doesn't take their shit whereas that's I feel true. like uh, you know it, it might have not necessarily worked the other way around to have yeah, if it's a, this if it's giant a woman, dude like, at, like not taking shit from these four women because it's like well he could just punch them right like if it's a, if it's <laughs> It's a woman, then it's like, oh, what a crab ass. But if it's a guy, it's like, what an abusive piece of shit. So yeah, yeah I guess I guess that's true. Yeah, but uh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just an extreme minority to think. I, I thought the first trailer was better formatted. I did like the like dragon phoenix ghost that they showed at the concert. It looks cool. Once again, all the look of this movie is great. I'm totally cool with the look of the ghosts and uh, the gear and everything. I'm just hoping that the comedy uh, pulls through. And it's cool if they want to comment on the facts that everybody is freaking out about the fact that it's all women. If they want to do that in kind of an intelligent, satirical way. Uh, almost like Chris Rock of the Oscars kind of thing, where they're like very aware of it and pointing it out. That's fine. Um, but I just don't want the humor to come across as very juvenile and uh, shallow, almost like Meet the Blacks. Well, the fact that, you know, Kristen Wiig says that she got ectoplasm in her crack doesn't necessarily uh, go along with what oh, you're well, hoping here. But Yeah, I, I really... Yeah, it's really the comedy is what everybody's concerned about. I, I don't think that the structure of the movie or the ghost or look of anything is going to disappoint. I think it's going to be the jokes are going to fall flat, and that's going to what's what's going to hold us back from greatness. All right, and then uh, oh, so before we get to the movie, we still have to go over your uh, review of the Lazarus effect. Ah, uh, yes, the ultra for those for those of you listening for the first time, which uh, by the looks of our numbers would be everybody. The uh, the the price of losing a competition here on the show is you have to mm-hmm. write a very glowing review of a very glowing and very specific review mm-hmm. about last week's awful movie. So two weeks ago, actually, we watched the Lazarus Effect on Netflix, which was a steaming pile, 
And so uh, TN here had to write a very glowing review of it, and so we're going to hear it now. So TN, go right ahead. Sure, yeah. And the the other losing factor being that I, the loser has to send the winner a, a nude photo set of himself. Right, um, which I got to say, I was truly the winner that day. Thank you. Um, artful, right? The artful. lighting. I was very impressed with the lighting. I appreciate that. It took me a while. So here's my review of uh, The Lazarus Effect. Um, so this movie is superb. I was tired of all those current horror movies being filled with blood and gore. I wanted to see a horror flick, but I didn't want to see some people get murdered. I wanted heavily implied, but what am I, some kind of sicko? I don't want to see it. This movie featured the perfect amount of deaths without being too graphic about it. Between choking on an e-cigarette and being crushed in a locker, I was really happy I didn't have to see any blood. Well, I guess there was some blood that poured out of the locker, but I just pretended that was raspberry syrup. Also, my other problem with most horror movies is that the bad guys are too well-defined. In movies like Friday the 13th and Halloween, the killer's intentions are too obvious. I don't want to know why the caged murderer kills. I just want to not see them do it. So, in that sense, I loved how completely unclear and confusing Olivia Wilde's motivations were in this movie. You could never really tell if she had gone crazy or was just plain evil or what. And they never really resolved those questions, which is exactly what I like. I like as many unanswered things as possible when the credits roll. Also, I like when Olivia is the fireman at the end. Oops, spoilers. 10 out of 10 would watch again. <laughs> Well, I think, if nothing else, that creates the new standard for the uh, the reviewing process, that we need to spoil the ending at the, oh, end, yeah. at the end of every review. I'm worried slightly that Amazon isn't going to publish it because of the spoiler, uh, but we'll see. I mean, they might not care. I mean, whatever. You know, the, I, I can't imagine how many reviews they get on a daily basis, like, or they read the whole thing. It's probably just like, well, they didn't say fuck, so published. <laughs> Um, <laughs> no, I think that should be the new standard, though. Oops, and then this. Anyway, so there you Oops, go. 10 what? out of 10 would watch again. Yes. Also, check out Frightful Fairies on iTunes. Excellent. For our full review. Uh, great. Um, awesome. Well, uh, anything else you would like to cover before we jump into All-American Murder? Um, no. No, actually. Although, I will say this. Going into this review... Mm-hmm. I don't have a particular problem winning or losing because this movie is so weird to watch, and uh, and and we've got some clips pulled that we'll go into, but I I I wouldn't have a problem. I have now that I got to pick my first movie for the show. Now yeah. I have like ten movies that I want to bring in, but uh, so obviously I'd love to win. But even if I lose, I wouldn't mind writing about this movie because it was so bizarre. Yeah, no, so, I'm going to be so real with you that I, I, I might try and throw the game this week so that you do win again, because I I thought this was so much more enjoyable than any of the garbage that I've made us watch. So, uh, <laughs> good, good. this was so, so much more enjoyable. Uh, and with that said, let's jump on into it. So, um, All American Murder. This was released in uh, 91, I think. 91 or 92, yeah. Sources are kind of weird on it, and my iPad likes doing this thing now where I just pull an app up and it just crashes it immediately. So you'll have to give me a moment if you want to just get started on the plot while I go ahead and pull up the IMDb. So the first thing I want to talk about with this movie is it does not fuck around in terms of uh, exposition in the very beginning of the film. We get like an entire movie's worth of origin story 
in the span of like no kidding jet like 12 minutes um we immediately meet our main character uh Artie, i think his name is arthur Artie yeah. is indeed his name mm-hmm. um who is just, he's an artist right yeah <laughs> which is the uh the non-subtle way of just going that he's this weird caricature of 90s alternative uh outcastum that some 40-year-old man thought was relevant at the time when he wrote this and so it's like he's wearing the jean jacket and the uh like french uh you know artist hat and um he's already in jail for some reason and or some kind of holding pen and so they they let him out and it's because uh recently like he he set his dorm on fire and so they were holding him, but his father's a judge, so he gets him off on bail or something like that. And so then we get to see when he, uh, when Artie first comes out of the jail and immediately lights up a cigarette because it's the early 90s and smoking, I would say, is almost fetishized? Fetishized? I would say so. And, and, and honestly, if you wouldn't... If you weren't told, hey, this came out in like 91 or 92, you would 1,000 think that, 1,000 think, you would 1,000% think that this was an 80s movie because it just seems that way. The way that people are dressing, I realize that we're just entering the 90s here. Yeah, so, so we don't have a clearly defined. 89, yeah, I was say, we don't have a clearly defined look of the 90s when this yeah, but 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 boy oh boy, especially the music that you're about to hear in the clip, uh, it's very 80s. So let's take a listen. Look at you. What planet are you from? Come on. Which I gotta say, the what planet are you from line is such trailer fodder. Like that, you know, like, yeah. how do we express that even his father thinks he's an outcast? Oh, okay, when he first sees him, he'll ask him what planet is he from? Like, oh god, you're so heavy-handed. To be fair, the idea that he was booked wearing like a Cuban militia hat and other sort of weird boho clothing, um, very, very strange. And his like little like short almost dance that he does right when he hits the stairs as the crazy slap bass is going on during that song. Uh, you immediately are like, I'm in the 80s. I don't know what they're talking about with 91. This is an 80s movie. Um, so yeah, so, uh, you could tell this guy's the protagonist because everyone calls him different. Every single character that talks to him says, you're different. You know, whether it's his father, um, or, uh, the romantic interest you're going to meet very, very soon. So, uh, I guess the first thing that happens when you're someone who goes to jail for arson, which is a very relatable Jean Valjean type of crime, by the way, arson, um, <laughs> is you go to school, I, I guess. You just immediately go to school. They don't well, really, uh, we find out, up? we find out in very clunky dialogue between his father and him that, uh, he's been kicked out of a bunch of schools, mostly for yeah. arson related stuff. And, uh, that now he's at this like boarding school and this is the last chance he has. And so he needs to graduate college. We never find out what he's going to school for officially or, you know, why, why he has to go to college. Cause if you've been kicked out of like 12 schools at, at a certain point, you just gotta be like, I just pack it in. We're done here. But apparently yeah. not. Um, yeah, usually after two or three, uh, an average parent is like, okay, fuck this. Like, I'm not going to f- put more money into this. If you don't want to do it, you, you, nothing is going to make you do it. And I'd rather you, you not burn down another classroom. Um, but either way, I mean, uh, his father does decide to send him to this uh, new kind of prestigious school. 
Um, and almost immediately, he begins buying this beautiful blonde girl and just follows out of her heels for her. And uh, at some point, is sketching her in a classroom, although it may have just been the copy of the movie I was watching, but I saw nothing on that piece of paper. Yeah, I don't know why. They, they play it up like he's like, oops, and then she picks it up like, what the? And she refers to it la- later like, oh, that sketch was pretty that was good. That was a great sketch, but she mm-hmm. has zero, there's nothing on the paper, so either there's it's, nothing on the paper. I think it was the the copy of the movie you watched, like the contrast was too low or something, and just looked like a blank piece of paper. So, um, which kind of added to the comedy, I'd say. But it's it's interesting because that is there are a couple of factors for me that really pointed out that it was a it was an early '90s, late '80s film, and and just certain reasons why. You couldn't remake it today. Because I do wonder that sometimes when I'm watching kind of a weird uh, older film, I always think, like, could I remake this again? Like, if I want to do, not that the story constitutes it, but could I remake this today if I really wanted to? And I think this one has a resounding no because of, A, all the fucking smoking in it, and which that immediately dates your film because now, if you're unless you're a villain, you can't smoke in a movie anymore um, unless it's like a period piece. And even then, and then, uh, yeah, the entire beginning of this is he's stalking this woman and she even says it too, like, Oh, it's nice to be stalked by a creative type or something like that. And it's like, Jesus almighty, if this was remade today, he's going back to jail because he's just stalking this woman and like yeah. shows up at her house with, uh, with a giant painting, like, Oh, you can put it on your wall. Do you want to go on a date? Like, it's just very bizarre. It's- it is very bizarre, and not that there aren't, you know, current, like, a, uh, not that I've, I've watched it every night before I go to sleep or anything, but The Notebook, uh, there's kind of some creepy, uh, almost stalkerish things that happen, which, and, and that was my main thing, is regardless of time period, I feel like a lot of times that's portrayed on film to be very romantic, and anything uh, even close to that in real life is just like, my God, I, I swear to God I will call the police. I mean, the, 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 she agrees to a date with him after he waits outside of her classroom for what is assumed to be over an hour for her to get out of the class so that he can immediately resume the conversation where it left off uh, when he left her, when he, you know, led her into the classroom there. So, yeah, anything even near, I mean, you send somebody a, a, a Facebook message that's a little too forward nowadays and, you know, you're going to be called a creep and, and blacklisted. Um, and so I can't imagine, like you said, remaking a movie where it's totally cool to just kind of spy a girl, draw pictures of her, and follow her around, despite her saying, I'm good. Now, I guess we'll get into it a little bit more when we get further along in the movie, but mm-hmm. um, did this movie remind you of anything? Mm, poop. Okay, but yes, but it also reminded me, did you ever see the movie Brick? With uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt? I don't think so. No. Oh, it's an incredible film. It really, really is. It's an excellent, excellent movie. Uh, it was made, like, right before Joseph Gordon-Levitt became, like, a big thing. Like, he was mm-hmm. transitioning from Third Rock from the Sun into, like, hey, I'm going to be an actor. Um, yeah. And it's kind of got a similar concept where, um, like, of what, what we're about to get into. But it's done much, much better. And uh, and it even has the same sort of... I'll, I'll, get, I'll get into it later on. But just... Just know that as a as a note here that I, I'm going to make a comparison between this movie and Brick, and how much better Brick is. 
but also just sort of, it's strange that this had a very similar sort of cut from a similar cloth. But anyways, so yeah, Artie is not fitting in at school, and he's falling over, head over heels over the, the head cheerleader and, and the perfect sorority girl, and how are they ever going to work, and, you know, star-crossed lovers and all this other garbage. Yes. Um, I mean, in, right near the beginning, I mean, you see him, uh, it's immediately painting him as he's the survival protagonist, even though we just watch him come out of prison for arson. And he definitely is weird. Uh, somehow they do kind of still try and make him relatable and, and immediately set him up as he's the protagonist of this movie. He's the guy that you need to relate to because, look, he's a good guy. He dove into this fountain to save this completely dry dog and hand it back to the owner. Um, so, and by the way, I have noted down Brick here on my actual physical list of movies and shows to see and watch, so. You really um, should, and I'll, I'll, I'll do a better selling point of it here in a bit. Sure, spoiler alert. Um, so, yeah, um, he's really good pursuing her, and she agrees, so they eventually go on a, a date, he cleans up well, they go to a nice restaurant together, and, uh, she seems super sweet, they're getting along well. Um, he does have a run-in with her friend, who's the most popular guy in school, the, the prom king, as it were, uh, this big jock frat boy, um, who, as soon as I saw him, he has that short interaction where he says, stay away from her, or something along those lines. I thought, oh boy, is this going to be our Toby Award? But then 30 minutes later, you see no more of him. I thought, oh, shucks. But... We'll, we'll get into that in a bit. <laughs> so, um, well, let's, I'll just say, let's get to that. Let's, like, let's, let's move forward here so we can start talking about these other topics we want to discuss. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, uh, we've got our second clip here, which just to sort of really drive the point home, um, already, already kind of has the deck stacked against him. Um, he's come to the school. Nobody trusts him. He's a weirdo. He's an outcast. And so he and Tally, Tally, I think her name was Tally, which is a weird name. Yeah. Why not just go full Talia then? Um, mm-hmm. but anyway. They're getting along great. They're kind of, they go on like a first date. And so, again, he's meeting up with her while she's doing perfect person cheerleading, all things like that. And then we suddenly meet the dean. Oh, I forgot though. Uh, he, uh, already comes to the school. He's there for literally five minutes and then we jump cut and he's already fucked the dean's wife. Um, <laughs> yes. Oh, I can't believe we forgot about that. No, that's immediate. He, he like walks on a campus and immediately looks at the dean's wife. They're fucking immediately. Um, and it, she does establish that she has fucked a lot of other students before, but my God, I mean, what a, what a great, you know, foot in the door at this, this new lease on life he's going to have after getting out of jail. Yeah. Which I did think the line, um, when we have, when she's talking about, being married to the dean, she says, "You know, our our sex were on the same page. We both worship his dick." And I was like, "That's harsh and yet hilarious at the same time." Because I I took it literally, like I took it like as they're having sex. He's just like, mm-hmm. "It's awesome! Look at this!" Like, pay homage to it. Right, exactly. But anyway, so yes, he shows up immediately, fucks the dean's wife, and then now we have a clip of uh, the dean and him having a very. Um, Interesting conversation, and it's interesting because, A, it's a, it's further establishing what we're saying about how he's an outcast, and, B, they're both talking in a way that nobody would talk in real life. So let's I can't wait to get into it. Mr. Logan. Why, Dean Darby. What a pleasant surprise. I was just admiring your lovely campus here. You were drooling like a sweat hog over those cheerleaders. Getting overheated, I see. Hope you don't start any fires. <laughs> don't worry. I worry about all my students. That's my nature. You're like sons and daughters to me, even the black sheep. Well, don't let him pull the wool over your eyes. No, I won't. 
I'm watching him. If he tries, I'll slaughter him, hear me? Relax. I'm a new man. You better be, Logan. You're at Fairfield now. Reform and conform. Drooling like a sweat hog. That's a new catchphrase for me. <sighs> My God. Guys, this is the whole movie. This is exactly how it was written. And uh, I'm just going to set you the scene for you right now. This is all I'm going to be talking about this entire review is how this movie is written, how this dialogue is written, because it's so fascinating. I think this movie may, in fact, have been written by Woody Allen because the, the writer is so pleased as punch with himself for every single line of dialogue. And you're absolutely correct. That's exactly what I was going to say is that no human being talks like this. Not only, like, the quick wit, which nobody has. That's why everyone alive will walk away from a dialogue and be like, oh, man, I could have said this. That would have been great. Uh, nobody does that. In fact, every single line is the, the wittiest, like, immediate comeback. And also, people play off of each other's metaphors, which never happens. Even the black sheep, and then he makes a comment about sheep, and then the, the principal comes back with a final sheep line. No, no one does that. That does not happen in real life. And interestingly enough, it's not just with uh, with Artie and like his foils. Like it's not like, oh well, if it's the villain, then they have like a, a good back and forth. No, like during the date montage with her, with him and, and Tally, like they have like quick banter back and forth about you know. Oh, yeah, you're really great with kids. Yeah, I want to work with autistic kids someday. Well, why not work with artistic kids now? Because we're on the we get a bad shake. <laughs> Who talks like that? Like, nobody, nobody. Like, did you all practice this before we came into the picture? Like, did you choreograph this? Like, how that, did you get that's that? What it, that's the only way. To, I mean, that's uh, the, the most defined, scripted dialogue you could possibly ask for, where the things are so catchy and so immediate, sort of snap comebacks. That, that they could not possibly exist in the real world. Yeah, like I Tarantino's dialogue with... is more natural than this movie. Like, it's just, like, a lot of it is so this back and forth. You're like, who, who talks like this? Like, that okay. doesn't... Which which takes me back to the Brick comparison. It is a... For those of you who don't know, Brick is a noir picture set in modern times in a high school. So, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is our detective... But he's also a student, and he's trying to figure out um, the, the the who's to blame for a crime that's committed. And as it is a noir piece, he talks in very clever dialogue, and so does everybody else. Which is why I'm saying it's so bizarre that it's 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 parallel with this weird '90s movie in a lot of ways, and that's one of them. If the dialogue is very quick and snappy in Brick, but the difference is it's brought up to up front, like it's it's showcased up front. Mm -hmm. that it's a it's a modern noir. This doesn't have any reason for it. Like, this doesn't say from the get-go, like, hey, and everybody's a clever bitch. Like, no, it's just everyone talks really bizarre, like no human being actually would. Yeah, and, every single person in this in this movie talks like they've been working in comedy for 30 years, and they just know how to banter. Uh, it's like an episode of Who's Last Anyway. It's like every single person is like a trained comedian and knows how to banter. Very bizarre, but... We're finally getting to the point of the whole movie, which is the reason why you should be watching this movie. Like uh, Tien said, the dialogue is weird. It's written very unusually. It's a very strange sort of slice of the 90s. But there's really just one reason why you should be watching, or at least one reason why I initially had interest in this film. 
and that is the inclusion of a Mr. Christopher Walken. Now, here's the thing I want to mm-hmm. preface with. This is not a situation where Christopher Walken just being zany or whatever is the drawing point. You don't watch it because Christopher Walken is like, you know, doing something, uh, you know, or or like he's not like he is in Saturday Night Live or anything like that. It's not the older Christopher Walken that doesn't take himself seriously. This is still like, hey, I'm an actor. I was in Dead Zone. You know, I'm a real actor. And the uh, the same writer who gave us all the weird snappy dialogue uh, for every character gives the most unbelievable shit for Christopher Walken to say in this movie. And is, part of me, yeah. and part of me, his delivery is so super weird in this one that part of me thinks that he didn't even have a script that they just walked in on set and just started talking, and they everyone was like, "No, oh, we we hired him for the day, so I'll well film it." Honest to God, this is a movie that has completely like changed my view on Christopher Walken because you're absolutely right that to, to anyone, especially uh, any younger viewers out there who just know kind of the old, you know, almost white haired Christopher Walken that, you, you know, appears in Adam Sandler comedies and things like that nowadays and is just completely over the top. They know, oh, you know, there he is. He always needs actually, one cowbell. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like it's almost a, the Nicolas Cage syndrome where it's like once they've reached a certain point of what they are now where they know this is my reputation as an actor, so I'm going to fully embrace that and just do weird, ridiculous stuff. You don't really get the kind of pure, unadulterated walk-in that there was in the late 80s and early 90s. And this is such a prime example of that, just like, you know, Vampire's Kiss, where, right. you know, you're getting, here's some Nicolas Cage pre, you know, uh, being more meta and self-aware of what a Nicolas Cage role is. Uh, and, and that's great. I, I absolutely love that. It's fascinating. Every time Walken's on the screen, you're like, uh, on the edge of your seat, like, what? Well, okay, let's see. What's the next delivery of this line going to be? I love it. <laughs> so, so this is, uh, to set this clip up, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Christopher Walken plays a, plays a cop with a Blade Runner reference name. And uh, he comes in, there's a hostage situation, and uh, the the guy is holding this pregnant woman hostage, and Christopher Walken comes in to try to get him to uh, let the hostage go and focus on him instead. So he comes in immediately talking about the hostage taker's uh, wife. And so this is, this is where we get our introduction to Christopher Walken's character. She's some bunny, isn't she? great to see her again. It's been years, but I never forget a face, especially if I've sat on it. Hope you have the fun with her that I do. I love that little mole on her butt, don't you? And how about that sensitive left nipple? And what mouth action? I thought jaws only moved that fast in water. A little too much teeth for my taste, but she's learning. You know, Luann likes to make a guy happy. More than you do for her, Marco. But then you have a problem, don't you? It's called limp dick. And Luann is losing patience. In the time it takes you to get a hard on, she could simonize the car and learn Hebrew. Yeah, me and Luann, Luann and me. We just pump away, singing that song we love. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. 
<laughs> now let me just say, we did not edit that clip. Like if you're if you're going, there's no way he says all that. He really does. He genuinely does. And I apologize in advance for these clips being so long, but I just I couldn't justify cutting these clips down when this dialogue is so fucking great you have to hear all of it so there's a lot of clips and they're pretty long i'm just gonna you know let you guys know right now because you have to hear all of this oh my god there's Uh, so so so, like there's so many moments of that like honest to god i could have done the whole episode just talking about that scene because it's (laughs) so everything he says i want on a t-shirt in that scene like no literally uh, more than anything i want just the script for this movie just like printed and framed around my entire room just lined <laughs> like the fucking scene from the shining just written on <laughs> the walls covering my whole room uh, uh, i never forget a face especially if i've sat on it like just so many like Oh my God! Christopher Walken is saying the most ridiculous shit right now. And uh, what a, uh, I'm trying to think of the other ones too. There's um, the I thought Jaws only moved that fast in water, which is incredible. It is. And then uh, my favorite, though, my favorite is uh, oh, but you've got a problem, Mako. It's called limp dick. I'm like what? you couldn't even come up with a better way to say that. You couldn't even like. Oh, let me not try to be subtle with my reverence here. Let me just piss off this guy who's got a knife to a pregnant woman's neck <laughs> by saying, gross. literally, he oh has a lip dick. Like, not even trying to beat around the bush about it. No. <laughs> uh, I mean, obviously the, the, the you know reason for this scene is showing that this is a no-nonsense cop and that he doesn't play by the rules. But really, out of context... What an awful way to try and handle a, a hostage situation. <laughs> well, and that's the beautiful the thing is, is, spoiler alert, this completely works. It's 100% effective. <laughs> and the uh, the criminal puts down the weapon and comes running out, and then uh, Christopher Walken shoots him in the leg, and he goes to jail. So this, like, weird public, like, just shaming of this guy with vulgarities is completely 100% effective. You gotta wonder, I mean, this can't have been the first time that he's done this tactic. It clearly pulled it off so well, so naturally. I wonder what the first public humiliation of someone that was, you know, very well going to kill an innocent person, what that first one was. And it, it must have worked. No, I, here's the thing. Let me, let me, let me go ahead and take a quick side note here. Um, this movie is, is a very strange, strange and unusual film. Oh, is um, it? However, with that said, I would gladly throw this entire movie in the garbage. I would throw this whole thing away if instead you gave me a movie about this particular cop and the weird mustache one who tells him at the beginning, like, oh, you're going to hate my guts, but we got a guy in here, he says if we get closer, he starts cutting. And then afterwards he's like, oh, we got a double header. It's going to go over like a fart in a phone booth. Like, I want their buddy cop movie. And I want to just say, have a movie about that police department because you're right. This is not the first time Christopher Walken has publicly shamed somebody into compliance. And I want to see the other cops who try to rip him off. Like I want to see the cops who aren't as sure of themselves and they're like, it's like a you know a gunman's in an orphanage and he's going to open fire on these kids and some rookies there like, I I heard you got you got a baby dick. Is that is that what you got? And then the guy's like, fuck you, and just starts shooting everybody. And they're like. Ah, you didn't earn it yet. You're not you're not walking enough. Like, I would yeah. see a movie that was just about this force 
and the buddy cop movie between Christopher Walken being unnecessarily vulgar and mm-hmm. the like very ho hum, quiet, laid back buddy cop who's just the, like, the, yeah. yeah, it sucks this lady's about to die, but maybe you could do something. I don't know. The PJ Decker origin story. Um, I'm sure that every day in the office uh, is that scene from action movies where the chief says, one more screw up, PJ, and I'll have your badge. That's got to be every day for this guy with with, with <laughs> these kind of hostage situations. I imagine so, that's everybody in this movie is just constantly oh, yeah. like, damn it, Christopher Walken. He's like, hey, tell your wife, my dick's coming back. Like, just that, you know. Just be vulgar for no reason and and have no consequences come from it. No, absolutely. To to have there, there had to have been at least one. If, if he's handled this dozens of ways, just like that, there had to be at least one where he said, "Hey, and your wife when she was swallowing my cum," and then the hostage gets killed and he goes, "Oh fuck!" Right. Oops. <laughs> Wait, one out of twelve ain't or, bad. Or again, like if you're remaking this and he's trying it, like. Hey, Marco, let me tell you something about your girlfriend. And it's like, no, wait, Marco's gay. And he's like, wait, what? All right, then. Let me tell you something, Marco. When your boyfriend was railing me from behind, ooh, wow, such hands, so strong. I mean, he's almost very reminiscent of Willem Dafoe's cop from Boondock, saying yeah. I could completely understand uh, him swinging, playing from both sides. I could definitely see that. I could definitely see that. But anyway. Suspicions confirmed for anyone last uh, two episodes ago who thought that they're going to do walking impressions throughout the whole yeah, episode. Yeah, you knew that was coming. You're right. Um, great. So we've jumped around a little bit because at this point, being introduced to Christopher Walken's character, um, we have already seen uh, Tally get straight up murdered. Um, uh, yeah, she's set on, on fire character. and she falls mm-hmm. off a balcony and is dead. And they mention that she's pretty much just ash by the time they find her. That there's yes. nothing left but her but her father's watch. And yes. that's it. Artie's going to meet her for a date, um, and he sees her burning body come rocketing out of uh, her sorority house and jump off of the balcony. And so, of course, being that it's fire as the cause of death, everyone is staring at him saying, oh, the arsonist who just got here, he just killed Tally. Ooh, Thus, talk about mm-hmm. fire crotch. Yeah, oh, Wow. <laughs> The plot of this movie starts to roll along. So uh, PJ and Bing Bong bring in um, bring in um, Artie and start questioning him. And uh, PJ, kind of being the seasoned cop that he is, sees right through Artie and, and sees that he's innocent, um, which obviously we know is the audience at that point. Uh, that Artie is innocent, and so he gives this murder suspect twenty four hours. To solve the case, which I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a cop or anything, but is that how that works? I was gonna say I don't know if that's officially the rules. Um, is, uh, like, is that uh, like a small statute that I'm not aware of in some states? Is that if you can solve the the murder you're being accused of within 24 hours, that you yourself will be free? You're off the hook. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, regardless, that is what he is given. So, uh, the vast majority, the real meat and potatoes of this movie is the investigation, the detective work that uh, Artie is doing in order to try and find who killed Tally. Well, so basically, we've got this kind of back and forth between Decker isn't going to solve the case himself for some reason, so Artie has to, and then Decker kind of just checks in every once in a while. 
um, to kind of see how things are going and help him along. And so we actually have another example of uh, Christopher Walken and Artie talking here. So we'll yes, play that uh, real quick. Hooker, I know, has got a virgin sister. They can get popped. Only gets turned on by cops. So I'm invited to do the deed. I go over there, I walk in. There's this cupcake on the rug, naked. Wants to see my badge. A second later, she's all over me, wiggling, jiggling. I can't get hard, because all I can think about is my ex-wife, how she nagged me to quit the force. Work for her brother, some patio furniture. To me, the badge meant something. To her, it meant no money. So she went off, married this guy, Leslie, moved to Los Angeles. He owns a cheese factory, makes $200,000 a year. Nobody loses. Leslie gets my wife and daughter. Every Christmas, I get 12 pounds of cheese. I knew, I knew a girl named Leslie once. I used to call her the squirrel because she was always grabbing my nuts. She grabbed them so hard when she almost crushed them. I think she was my first crush. But Tally, man, she was my first magic. That's not magic. We all bleed. Now, my favorite part about that scene is Christopher Walken is telling this really bizarre sexual story to to this college student. And the look, this if nothing else, go track down the movie just to watch the look on Artie's face on the couch because he's just like, where the fuck is this going? Like, he just has this look on his face like, why are you telling me all this? And, and there really isn't a, a really defined purpose for it. It's like kind of talks about like, the cop badge used to mean something to him, but now it doesn't. Like, there's not really, it's not really made clear why the fuck Christopher Walken tells this kid the story. And you would expect, you know, with his look and his, the, the, the kind of how strange the story is as a whole and how weirdly surreal the story is, um, and ending with, and I get, you know, 12 pounds of cheese each year for, for Christmas, Christmas yeah. that he might say, you know, a normal person in that situation might say like, so what do you, like, what do you mean? What's the point? What, what are you trying to say exactly? And instead <laughs> that his reply is knew a girl named Leslie called her the squirrel because she was always grabbing my nuts, thought she was going to crush them. I guess she was my first crush. Which again, this is I I, I would say above anything else, this is the greatest example of the dialogue in this movie and how you're just like sitting there like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, what like there's no there's no logical train between anything. It was like the writer just took a dartboard with a bunch of weird one-liners that he had written down and just kind of was throwing them like, well, this will connect. This is kind of funny. This is kind of a funny one-liner. It doesn't really connect here, but I I really need it in the script. Just please this bunch of himself, the whole movie. Um, really fantastic. So what begins to get set up here is uh, the Scooby-Doo nature of this uh, movie, which is that apparently every character that has been introduced has a motive for killing Tally and is also horrible. So it, it very much is like, a well, I, I, I hope that they pull the mask off the killer at the end and you know, say that they were going to get away with it if it wasn't for meddling Artie and Christopher Walken, because really every single person that they introduced in this movie, which is five or five or so characters that he kind of tracks down in his investigation, has a motivation for killing Tally. 
Um, and it's gradually revealed throughout this film as he starts to investigate this uh, mute janitor um, who kind of works for the sorority that she lived in and uh, this girl that he calls ugly at the beginning of the movie, which is kind of funny based on the end. Um, this girl who's a new pledge to the sorority who apparently was finding this videotape um, of Tally being very two-faced about her inclusion in the sorority and saying, no, I, I don't think she belongs with us. She's not one of us. And so almost everyone has a reason that they could feasibly have been the murderer. Which I have to say about the the, the second place chick, essentially, um, just unexplained how just unbelievably she she's cool with stuff. Like, like uh, okay, even though Artie's getting the weird, like, get-out-of-jail-free treatment, um, you know, he's still being known as a, a, a killer on campus, mm-hmm. and she completely no-sells that 100%. Like, he shows up at her dorm unannounced and goes, hey, you know, I need your help with this or this, and I need to figure this out, and blah, blah, blah. And she just kind of looks at him, and she's like, okay, and that's it. Like, there's not, there's never a doubt in her mind, like, oh, hey, maybe this guy is a crazed killer, and I need to watch out for it. You know, it's just sort of like... Okay, well, whatever. I mean, we each have our own stuff we got to deal with, so... She really needs to get her laundry done, so she's completely willing to brush the fact that he may have killed someone under the rug in order to get some help with that. Killed someone that she was friends with, by the way. (laughs) Like, not even like, oh, he killed a stranger. Like, no, they were like buddy-buddy, and she's like, well, you know, hey, we all make mistakes, whatever. Let's, uh, Let's hang out. The way in which uh, Christopher Walken shows up in this movie, by the way, is almost like uh, Morgan Freeman and Bruce Almighty. Like, uh, just completely almost supernatural. The way you'll just, he'll be in a locker room trying to track down one of Tally's sorority sisters, the questioner. They're screaming, and then he'll just turn around, and Christopher Walken's there like, hey, you're in the ladies' locker room. You need to get out of here. I'll only catch you in here again. Yeah, don't um, pull your dick out. In front of these girls, like, it's just like, where, where did you come from? And then again, the, uh, the, like, the campus security guard grabs him and just goes, oh, just deal with him then, and just throws him to Christopher Walken. So there's they're a weird very, amount of trust. Like, yeah, there, there's a lot of trust. I mean, uh, they never really say exactly where this movie takes place, but it's gotta be like Canada or something, if they're just willing to let murder suspects just kind of roam around and then wind up in ladies' locker rooms and, not just decide, hey, let's just lock him up for now and let's let's us, the police, try and solve this case and see if she was indeed the murderer, do some forensic work, you know? So, um, so Artie ends up kind of falling down this rabbit hole and finding that uh, Tally was, in fact, two-faced, that although she was very, like, you know, um, pristine and perfect on the outside, that she was living this weird double life and due to the pressure of, I guess, having to be perfect at everything, you know, cheerleader, sorority, yada, yada, yada. She, uh, in her spare time, does, like, weird sexual stuff with the captain of the football team mm-hmm. and, like, random hookers. And so Artie ends up finding photo evidence of this somehow, and uh, which we don't explain why, how, who took the photos. I guess the creepy janitor took the photos, but in any yeah. case... Uh, he finds photo evidence of them doing weird sexual stuff, and so he goes to confront the football captain about it and find out what exactly was going on. With uh, Which, uh, with I didn't really feel that the logic necessarily pointed, because, I mean, he, he finds those photos in the janitor's little hidey hole in the basement of the sorority house, Hey-o. and immediately assumes, 
hey, um, the janitor here, this mute janitor, he's the killer. Um, he calls, uh, you know, PJ from a payphone, says, get over here. I found the killer. It's a janitor. He had all these weird photos of Tally. It's got to be him. Comes back. Janitor's been murdered. Uh, screwdriver into the forehead, straight up murdered. And for some reason, and this is where the logic doesn't necessarily connect, goes to the jock's house and immediately accuses the jock of being the killer. Which, I don't understand the the logical connection there. He he thought the janitor's the murderer, and the janitor got killed, you would assume, okay, well, I need to at least uh, hang around here until PJ gets here to try and, you know, further investigate this. So, he might assume... Okay, obviously this is somebody else. It wasn't the janitor because they murdered the janitor. But why he immediately goes to the jock and accuses him, that I didn't necessarily understand. That was like his next logical, like like he'd almost said that over the phone. Like, oh, yay, it's definitely this janitor. If not, I've got a secondary lined up just in case I go back and the janitor's dead. But for right now, it's the janitor. And and just to kind of uh, speed things along here, that happens to every other character in this movie. He goes, already goes, hey, I think they're the killer. And then he turns around for 10 seconds, and when he turns back around, they're dead. And he goes, oh, I guess it wasn't them. And then he moves on to the next one. That happens to a majority of the characters introduced to this in, in this film. Is mm. He assumes that, they did, that they're killed, Tally, then they die, and then he just sort of goes, all right, well, that's got to be the next person then. And thank God the Jock character, I think his name is Doug, was reintroduced because... I, I trusted my gut, and I was right, that he does indeed get the Toby Award for this movie. I don't know if you agree. Oh, I have to. Like, another? Let, let's just, let's, the proof is right here. Let's listen. How did you get them? Not too flattering, are they? Jesus. I can eat a roll of Kodak and puke a prettier picture. You can't show those to anyone, Logan. I'm warning you. They'll destroy families, memories, everything. Relax, champ. I'm not out to destroy anyone. I just want some answers. You give me what I need, and the rest they locked up. Anything less, they hit the wall. What do you want to know? You and Tally. Snow White and Joe College. Who the fuck are you? We're the best. That's our mark. We made it, we kept it, we live up to it. Never fail, don't disappoint. It's what we were groomed for, what they expect. Yeah, that line delivery, just just spot on. Just really, really... Just love it. Um, so yeah, uh, <laughs> you're absolutely correct. Uh, he, he then, as is almost a, a darker Scooby-Doo fashion, he's meeting each individual... Uh, either witness or, you know, someone related to uh, this murder. And every single one of them immediately comes to the conclusion they must be the killer because they give very good reason. Each and every one of them gives an extremely good reason for why they killed us. They're painting a worse and worse picture of Tally, who goes from, like, oh, she's got this kind of double life and she's doing this weird sexual stuff to, like, wow, she's the second incarnation of Hitler. My right. God, what a terrible person. Um, she actually meets with the Dean's wife, you know, presumably they bang again. Um, and then she tells a story of how the reason why she's boning all these students is because the Dean kind of started it. And I guess she walked in on her with Tally 
and <laughs> apparently made eye contact with the dean, uh, eye contact with the dean who uh, gave the face of this girl is fucking raping me. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's a very, like, her explanation, I gotta say, of everybody's um, reasoning or everybody's doubt or, wh- or whatever you want to say for the characters, I think the dean's wife is the weakest because she literally just blows in out of nowhere halfway through the movie again and goes, hey, I know that it's my husband who killed her because they fucked once and Tali got too rough and for some reason that makes him that he's going to kill her and I'm going to just no-sell the severity of the situation because, like, Artie's freaking out because, holy shit, people keep dying around him and her response is just like, oh, you're going to be a puss about it? Like, it's no big deal. It's just my husband murdering people. Like, it's not a big deal. I'm going to go to the cops. And, uh... It's just, that was, I think, the weirdest of all of them. Because they all pretty much function the same. Artie comes in, accuses them. They say, no, I didn't kill her. He goes, yeah, right, I'm going to go call Decker. He goes, calls Decker. In the ten seconds it takes to do that, somebody else comes in, murders whoever he's been talking to, and that's it. In fact, let's go into what happens to our poor old friend, uh, uh, the the Toby Award-winning jock, as they uh, walk right back in the room. Artie's been out of the room for, like, maybe ten minutes and he comes back and, and finds this. Hide him with the Polaroids. He was crazy about them getting out. I'm telling you, Doug Sawyer is our guy. I guess Doug Sawyer's not our guy. Just a stab in the dark. Oh, Jesus. What the hell is Doug Sawyer doing on my coffee table with a knife in his back? This is not a good sign. What have you got to say? Well, I'd say the only way to prove you're innocent around here is to get killed. I might give it a try. Don't look at me like that. Any more surprises before I open the oven, find my Aunt Harriet? <laughs> Which, that's the other thing, too, is this this could have been a weird, dark Woody Allen comedy, but it doesn't know if it wants, it doesn't commit to that. It doesn't commit to that, but but really, I mean, that was one of the ones where it's like, what a nebbishy line. <laughs> like, what a, like, I might, I might try myself. Right. Like, it, that, that is absolutely a Woody Allen line. You would either cast a Woody Allen or you would cast a Ryan Reynolds uh, if you remade this movie uh, with the lead there because, boy, the quips. The quips. Yeah. Um, and, 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 again, it's just this weird situation where the, the movie, like, okay, if you watch the movie without sound, you would assume it's a very serious 90s thriller. If you just listened to the dialogue and weren't watching the movie or read the dialogue, like in the script, you would think this was a black comedy. But for whatever reason, when they actually put it to film, neither one really made it. Like it has the feel of a, of a serious thriller. Yeah. But the lines like that of like, oh, it's just a stab in the dark, I guess. Like just those things. It's like this is somebody wrote this as a comedy. And for whatever reason, when it got to the director, he was like, nah, I'm going to go ahead and play it straight. Yeah, no, it's it's very very strange, and so it just comes off entirely unnatural, as you know, as if these two characters are from some other dimension or something, and really human life does not matter to them at all. So they can walk in and see a dead body in their living space and just react to it with a, a, another one-liner with mild annoyance. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> so um, while all these people are getting killed, with really like clue style murder weapons that are known only to Artie. Uh, his snake is used as the, the murder weapon for uh, the Dean's wife. 
Um, and then finally, we see the Dean working out, and uh, the killer comes in and slips a grenade into his sweatpants, which, once again, I'm not going to claim I'm an expert on grenades, but don't they cause a pretty big explosion? Because when they find the Dean's body, really the lower half of him is just kind of separated from him instead of his entire being being blown to smithereens. Right. Once again, I'm not going to claim to be a grenade expert, um, and maybe the killer did, in fact, insert it fully into his anus, and that's why it was... Uh, <laughs> it, you know, it, kind of, sort of, it kind of quieted the uh, the explosion a bit. The explosion, you know, it was a contained, you know, blow, but... Uh, I'm, I don't know about you, but once the principal, the dean, was killed, I know who the killer is. I assume that you did as well. Well, yeah, because we didn't have any more characters. There were no more. You point. ran out of characters at that point. So at this point, there's there's nobody else, unless they're going to have a random character and they go, Groundskeeper Smith! Right. Well, yeah, um, it, it gets very Scooby-Doo in terms of it's literally there's only one other character other than Scooby and the gang. That could possibly be it. So it's like, okay, well, then it's got to be that then. And lo and behold, it is. The big reveal comes out, and it's it's Tally faked her own, of her own death. Um, which, let's play the clip. Let's play the clip of, of the big reveal, and then I want to discuss this real quick. Yes. Nice to be back at school. Here's your fucking killer, Decker. I'm sorry, Tally. I guess you misjudged me. I'm not the loser you pegged me for. You set me up. Fire. Letter. Cyrano. That missing Cohen at Sweethaven. You handpicked your double, and you made her up to look like you watching all. And then you fucking oh. killed her. What were you thinking? What were you thinking right now? Oh, I'd like to chop your balls up with a pickaxe. Respect your honesty. You cocksucking motherfuckers. I hate you fucking all. You're all a bunch of fucking pigs. I just want to fucking die. Which okay, here's the thing that I that I that I don't know. It was weird about this scene. So they make the big reveal, and already rolls with it like it's not surprising in any way. Like he like he had it figured out from the beginning. Yeah, you gotta wonder when they imagine this character figured it out because it, you know, it really is such a calm, like I told you. And, and not only that, but he goes into further explanation because apparently the cops in this town are just so terrible. Uh, you know how, you know that the cops in this town are so terrible is that once the Dean is killed, they, PJ Dexter says, I, I, I've had enough of this. Just arrest him. Take him to the station right now. They put him unhandcuffed into the back of the cop car and so he grabs his lighter, lights a newspaper on fire in the back, and throws it in the front seat, thus allowing him to escape. So not only are they not solving the murder, but they don't even know how to arrest somebody once they think they might potentially be solved. Um, so, so already being essentially the best cop in this town, not only has he now identified the killer, but has more backstory claiming that this other sorority sister that had gone missing was actually the victim that Tally had burned in order to fake her death. Yeah, so, and, and, and but I think my biggest problem here is not necessarily that he just magically figured it out in the span of 10 seconds, but the fact that her reasoning behind it is really lame. Really, really lame. And it's, oh, well, there was too much pressure to be perfect, 
so I lost my mind and decided to fake my death so that I could go, um, you know, start over somewhere else. But I did, and she goes, oh, I want to be dead or something like that. And it's like, well, then just go kill yourself then. Like, you don't have to go murder five people. Yeah. No, it was that. a yeah, really, really, really uh, weird motivation to that, to yeah. be the most popular person in this school and to say that that drove you to actually murder someone. And when that didn't work, murder four other people. Attempt to murder five or six other people. Um, so, and, then, so, and, and then the other thing I wanted to mention, because it just hit me, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, I feel like an idiot... Uh, the, so there, Decker's gonna handcuff her, and she, like, whips out a blowtorch out of nowhere, and tries to set Decker's face on fire, and they, like, turn her hands, and she burns half her face, so now she's literally two-faced, and I was like, come on! Oh, my goodness. There's this weird fire theme, uh, theme throughout that, obviously, you know, he's an arsonist, and from the very beginning credits, with a sort of slow piano chord intro... Uh, he keeps seeing this burst of fire. Like, that's what haunts him, supposedly, uh, our main character, Artie. And so you keep seeing that as almost a transition between some scenes. And then you see the same thing at the very end when she whips out the blowtorch. You know, it's almost like he sees the fire. Is it the fire inside him, perhaps, to, to be the hero? And he, you know, pulls her hands away from uh, Christopher Walken's beautiful face to uh, indeed save him. Which Christopher Walken does respond with, I like my face, thank you. And I'm like, a a crazy serial killer was just burned in front of you. Okay, great. Um, Yeah, what a weird movie. So tell me your thoughts about the movie overall. I really, really thought this was much more entertaining than a lot of the sort of indie 2015 garbage we've been watching lately. Um, I thought the dialogue was so spectacular. Um, and, and like you said, the, the mix of themes, which uh, I'm not going to pretend like there, there aren't a lot of movies we've watched so far that really didn't know the feel. You know, I mean, the, the first movie we reviewed didn't know what kind of feel it was going for. This is most definitely not a horror movie. Um, it has elements of horror in it. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, when he's escaping from the janitor who's got a screwdriver he's going to take to him um, and the murders themselves. I and mean, elements of horror, certainly, but not a horror movie. Um, no, I think it's more, it would be more more of like a thriller, if anything. Yeah. And so, uh, and plus, you cannot possibly replace how good Christopher Walken is, is in this film. And really just how uh, apparently dead inside every character is in this movie. That they can, I mean, at the very end, he walks off in the sunset with, and that's why it's funny he called her ugly in like the beginning of the movie, is because he ends up walking off with, as you said, the second choice. Um, and they act like, hey, everything's fine right now. Both of them were almost just killed, and they watched several murders in the past couple days. And they're both just like, hey, it's cool. On to the next adventure. Yeah, like, I hope you've got the book report ready for class tomorrow. Like, it's very just nonchalant. No, absolutely. And there's a very good chance that Artie will just be made honorary cop. because Yeah, might as well. He did more work than anybody else in there. He really did. Um, so I guess I think the the moral of the story is they're really going to continue their uh, their new method of hey if there's a potential murder give the guy 24 hours to try and solve the own murder because nine times out of ten they're just going to go kill somebody else but that one time they're going to solve the murder and it's going to all work out people are going to walk off into the sunset. So would you recommend this movie to uh, to other people? Honestly, I, I, I would. I would say go watch this because if nothing else, 
some of the di- if, if the dialogue we played for you doesn't make you want to watch this just to hear more of that, I mean, nothing else will. Plus, walking being walking and just yeah. being fantastic. Now, you mentioned at the at the start of the show that this made you want to go look up other walking films. I, I went through did. the exact same thing. No, absolutely. Uh, I haven't even seen Dead Zone, to be honest, and so uh, it makes me absolutely want to go watch Dead Zone and just see more uh, oh, he late is 80s, like, early 90s. He's in full walk-in swing in that movie. Yeah. A lot of weird pauses for no reason. Um, <laughs> now, that one's excellent to watch, too, but I'm glad you enjoyed this. I'm glad you... This is no, a very strange film, but... Really, um, really, really weird. I didn't know what I was expecting, and certainly the beginning, I was already like, oh, God, what did Zach give me because it like I said it's got the intro credits are set almost like this is going to be um, a romance or something and then all of a sudden it plays that flame effect uh, shows the snake real quick and then immediately goes into more of a harsh shrill music um, and I'm like, oh jeez well what you know what what did he give me uh, but really almost immediately it, you've got the slap bass as he's getting out of jail and uh, walking walking's introductory scene and you're sold at that point. So do we have a game to play to see uh, who picks uh, who pick Rast? Yeah, man. Um, who pick Rast? Uh, let's see. Oh, oh, give me just a moment here. All right, cool. So I do have uh, some questions here for you. Once again, written by our Vanderbilt. Uh, sorry, uh, runner of our uh, Instagram there at Frightful Failures. Um, she also writes the questions for us. So. This week, the game is called Bloody Box Office Busts, which is um, questions regarding uh, how much money these movies brought in, which are all pretty much uh, regarded as uh, as good horror movies by horror fans, but may not have performed as well in the box office. Okay. Um, so, starting off, we have uh, Dead Alive, which is uh, 1992 originally called Brain Dead. So, the highlight of this movie... May have been the scene where lead character Lionel mowed down a horde of zombies, and Dead Alive certainly didn't mow down the box office. At the time of release, Dead Alive brought in just barely a third of its budget. So how much did it bring in? I would say probably a third of its budget. I would say probably, I don't know. I'm thinking it's got to be something like just depressing so i'm gonna say like uh, what year was dead alive made in uh released in 92 92 so it would have been about the same time as uh as what we saw today i would say somewhere in the ballpark of like it brought in like i don't know 18 19 grand 18 or 19 okay you want to go 18 or 19 let me go i'll go 19 let me go 19 19 all right I'm going to shoot lower. Um, I'm going to say 12. Okay. I'm going to shoot way under. That is super depressing, by the way. Like that if, is. If, if, I if really hope us, that you're right. I would say, if either of us are right, that's still pretty depressing. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, next up, we have uh, Slither, which was 2006. I um, fucking love that movie, by the way. Oh, Slither, too, by the way. Um, so, do you know in Guardians of the Galaxy, when they're in the collector's chamber, that the bugs from Slither are in one of the cases? No, I didn't notice that. That's amazing. Yeah, dude. Um, so after watching Slither, Roger Ebert wrote, There are better movies opening this weekend. There are better movies opening every weekend. <laughs> Fuck you, Roger Ebert. Yeah, you um, and it seems the people listened and led this movie to bring in just over a third of its budget. How much did it bring in? 
2006. Um, 2006, so it's, it's going to be... It would have been more expensive to make it anyway, so I, I'm yeah. not going to go, like, <clears throat> bottom of the butthole, like, uh, you know, uh, low like I did with uh, Dead Alive. So I would say probably yeah. it made... Five million, maybe? Five, Five million? million? Opening yeah. weekend? Yeah, opening weekend. Because that, that movie's pretty glossy, so I would assume that, the, you know, at least for the bug effects alone, you probably had... You probably had, you know... Uh, 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 I wouldn't say that's a super expensive movie, but with no, that kind of effects, say, no. you had to have some kind of money behind it. Yeah. Um, I might shoot under again, which is depressing, and also just kind of crazy to look at... Uh, considering, you know, that we were shooting in the, you know, few thousand that a movie in the early 90s made to think that a mere, you know, 10 years later that it's bumping up, you know, several hundred thousand for a poorly performing movie is crazy. Right. Um, well, but also, though, keep in mind that Dead Alive, my, my thought process was that was somewhat of an underground film. Like, it, it didn't yes. have, like, yeah, that's a fair. huge opening because mm-hmm. that kind of gained, like, like the, the perfect... Um, opening premise of this game was, like you said, a lot of these movies are considered classics, but they weren't in their own time, and I think that definitely stands exactly. true with Dead Alive. Dead Alive yeah. is, is considered a like an absolute cornerstone of, of gore horror filmmaking mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and tangible effects, but or practical effects, but at the time, nobody gave a shit, so that's where I kind of mm-hmm. got my number from from there. So, so what's your number for Slither? Uh, two million. By the way, it sounds like the people in your office woke up and are, are now out and about. Yeah, I know, I know. There's, it's, it's, it's all, it's, it's, a, it's bustly here. This is why I don't go to see movies. <laughs> I'm going under you. Um, we're going oh. uh, uh, two Please mil. Do. What mouth yeah. action? Yeah, mm. yeah. So two, uh, two million is what I'm going to shoot for. Um, <laughs> I mean, Jaws moved that quick since they were in the water. Um, so. Two million is what I'm going to shoot for. Um, I feel like I just want to shoot under uh, because I don't know. I, I don't. I don't believe that it made too much. All right. So finally is uh, the most recent movie. That's going to be Crimson Peak. And so all, uh, another underperforming but well reviewed Guillermo del Toro genre flick. The gothic horror Crimson Peak struggled to find its footing and just barely brought in half of its budget. How much did it bring in opening weekend? Uh. I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say ten million on that one because I ten million. Uh, although, I think it's more probably visually there's a lot more going on than Slither, um, CGI and stuff like that has also gotten a lot cheaper and a lot more affordable mm-hmm. since Slither came out. So that's what I would. And, yeah. and and I think Slither you had a lot more interaction with, mm-hmm. with CGI stuff, whereas this I feel like a lot of it was just like the background and setting would have been more green screened. Yeah, I'm going to go over this time, actually, um, just because I have a feeling that it's almost a necessity, even, you know, if we are able to get CGI effects cheaper nowadays, that just, you know, current uh, blockbuster films, why were these films just cost a lot, almost by default, it seems. So I'm going to go for uh, 17, is what I'm going to say. All right, so... That God, I said, hope I'm at least close this time. Like, the uh, first time oh we gosh, played, yeah. I, really I was completely just, off base. Yeah. It almost feels like like playing this game like just devalidates everything we say about movies because we're like, yeah, this this must be how much it costs to make movie. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. Clearly we don't uh, know what the fuck we're talking about. 
All right, so uh, now considered one of the most influential zombie movies of all time, Dead Alive uh, garnered huge popularity on video and went on to change the face of the undead genre. Oh, God. At the time of its theatrical release, it took in 1.8 million. Whoa, what the shit? Jesus. Uh, So you definitely win that one, but my God. Uh, Okay, so 1.8 million uh, opening weekend. So I guess it wasn't as crazy a difference as we thought it might have been between the early 90s as now in terms of opening weekend uh, performance there. My God. Um, Paul Brooks president of Slither's production company, said the company was crushingly disappointed by the film's revenue. Its box office performance was substantially less than the budget of $29.5 million. It brought in just barely $12.8 million. Wow, okay. So once again, you win that one, but my God, we're off. Um, yeah, we still have no fucking clue what we're talking about. We have no idea. So, you know, we can watch movies, certainly, but, you know, don't ask us to budget your movie, please. Um, finally, reviews cast Crimson Peak as a visually stunning movie of little substance. Despite its big-name cast and $55 million budget, Crimson Peak was only able to bring in $31 million. So you won that one, then? I did win that one, but that still leads you with a two out of three. Which means you indeed won this week. Um, Sweet. Yeah, so not only do you get to uh, pick next week's movie, which uh, I'm excited for that, um, but uh, also I have to write a glowing review of this film, which is really not going to be crazy difficult. I was just going to say, I feel this is one of those cases where you can be genuine about it because it's such a weird flick. About the things I actually like about it, absolutely. Um, What do you have in mind for us this week, my friend? Oh, for films? Oh, I already have it mm-hmm. picked out. No question there. Um, we now, we've talked about um, different variations of horror films and, and things like that. And I was always kind of brought up on the... I was always brought up on, on uh, slasher films as my first kind of interview mm-hmm. to real horror. Yeah. And so what we're going to be watching for next week is the 1981 parody of slasher films, Student Bodies. Student Bodies. Which I am very excited to see this. Now, here's, I think, what's going to be beautiful about this show, is anytime Uh I win, it's going to be something really weird and obscure (laughs) and older. But when you win, you have to pick something from Netflix, because I don't (laughs) want to completely lose that uh, aspect of our show. That's fine. That's totally You're fine. You're picking poop from Netflix, and I get to pick really weird shit. Yeah. What's your opinions on. But keep in mind, guys, for those of you that were seeking out All American Murder, um, it's all on YouTube, the whole yes. movie. Um, so you can still check it out for free. Um, so you, we're still not trying to stray from that too much, where you can still check this out for free without having to totally illegally pirate it. Um, so do check that one out. Uh, student bodies, I'm assuming we'll, we'll try and figure out if you guys are able to access that as well. Uh, but I'm excited for that. Absolutely. Um, that's, this is kind of the, what we're sinking into here is either obscure eighties slash nineties terror or, um, newer indie garbage. Right. Exactly. It's gotta be one or the other. So, uh, so yeah, go watch it on YouTube. Literally, you could just YouTube uh, All American Murder. It'll come up. If nothing else, go watch all the Christopher Walken scenes from it. Um, it's a very, very bizarre film. And and then, uh, yeah, Tien, go go watch Brick because it's a much better made version of this where instead of trying to be a comedy, it decided it wanted to be a noir and be treated as such. So uh, unless there's anything else, uh, anything to plug before we uh, sign off? 
Yeah, I'd like to plug every Christopher Walken movie, so please go check all of those out. <laughs> go look at um, his IMDb. Go, yeah, uh, go watch everything uh, <laughs> for like the the mid two thousands. Go watch anything before that. Yeah, and uh, I'd just like to plug uh, once again uh, my Tumblr, hauntingandheroes.tumblr.com, um, our pages, which you can find us on Twitter at Fright Failures, Instagram at Frightful Failures. I believe we even are on Tumblr and Facebook now, Frightful Failures. So please, Frightful Failures, please, if you enjoy this podcast, like us, review us, uh, talk about us, introduce us, force your friend, tie up your friend, and clockwork horn style, put the earbuds in them and tape them to their ears so that they are forced to listen to this podcast we appreciate any amount of support that you guys can uh, give us right now as we are getting off the ground what about you buddy um i have three episodes of the final 30 up on my youtube channel which is youtube.com such horrible horrors new um which i just got into almost hollywood which is a really really bad um soft core thriller that, that i watched the last 30 minutes of and absolutely hated um and so that's up on, on the YouTube. And I will actually have a, a more traditional Horrible Horrors review coming up um, in a couple of weeks as well. So I'm going to go back to that. And that's it. So, yeah, uh, thank you again for listening. And, uh, again, I am Zach Romero. And I am Tian Guignol. And until next time, continue circulating the tapes. <laughs>